from American Awakening, this is Signs of Life. Hello, 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 America. It's great to be with you today. This is the American Awakening Squad, the Signs of Life live stream and podcast. Big, 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 big news. Um, We are now live as a podcast on all platforms. You can find us anywhere uh, starting today. So how exciting is that? And you're going to hear more about our big launch push with Relevant Magazine, our friends at Relevant, and their big push with us to partner in this podcast push out. But... uh, First, we got a show to do here. So uh, let's get it over to Josh Jacob. Josh, kick us off, my friend. Thank you. 
Things of Earth will go dim. Man, that's strong. Mm-hmm. And boy, is that on time for today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, uh, we've got a tough time here in America. We've got a tough time in the world. Since the last time we, we've seen you all, you know, 1,200 fellow Americans have died from this corona alone. Um, that number will go to 200,000 by the best estimates today. 10 million of our fellow Americans have have filed for unemployment in this last week, um, numbers which have never been seen before, ever. These numbers are devastating. The the headwinds are fierce, and it's going to get worse for a while before it gets better, which is so sobering. As uh, Lenin was reputed to have said, um, you know, a million deaths is a statistic and one death is a tragedy. Um, These numbers don't capture fully um, what it feels day in, day out, where you are, where you're living, you know, where you can't get to a loved one who's dying, where you feel like you can't pay the rent or get food on the table for your kids. Um, and we here feel you every single day on that. That's why we're here. We did the craziest thing in, ever in history, which is three weeks ago coming up with this idea and launching to go daily because we feel you guys. We, we're here for you. We love you. We're praying for you. We're, we're thinking about you. We, we, get, we get together and pray for you daily. Um, these things will grow dim ultimately. That is the truth. That is the reality. It's going to get worse. It's going to be hard, but we're going to get beyond this, folks. We're here with you. Um, and now let me kick it over to my friends, uh, Pastor Joel Searby in Gainesville, Florida. What's the cool hat today, Joel? Uh, today we've got Sycamore Brewing from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, shout out to my brother, John, on that one. Thanks. You know, John, your lead-in was really appropriate uh, for my thought today. So today and each day, guys, we're going to bring you a little daily dose of truth, a daily dose we hope that will give you some life and some light in a time when we really need it. But today, I'm really thinking about who is God. You know, according to a lot of research right now, and just all you got to do is open up the news or look on social media, a lot of people are asking questions about who God is. People are praying more than ever, according to a recent study that I read yesterday. And I think it's a time when we need to ask ourselves some big, big questions about who God is, because this is not a time to put God into some kind of box. Because right now, folks, we need a God that does not fit neatly into the pages of our Bible or squarely into the frameworks of our theology or our denomination. We don't need a God who fits comfortably in the smallness of our own desires. Right now, we need a God who is at the same time bigger than all the stars in the sky and nearer than our most intimate friend. We need a God who is more expansive than the mountains of the West and yet more intricate than the smallest flower in the field. We need a God who is bigger than the virus that can kill our bodies, but who will sit close enough to be with us if we are to pass from this mortal earth. 
We need a God who is bigger than death itself, who has defeated death, and yet has also come so close as to bring us life. This is the kind of God that we need right now. This is the kind of God that I believe in. This is the kind of God that we are crying out to and saying, we know, God, you are way bigger than our constructs. We know, God, that you are way bigger than anything we can possibly imagine. And yet at the same time of being so expansive, God, you are so close to us. You are right next to us. No one is dying alone because you are with us. You are Emmanuel, God with us. And we cling to that today. And I speak that out to you if you're hearing me. God is with you and we are standing with you. This is the God we need. We need that big, expansive God, and we need this intimate, close God. And as we seek that God, I am confident that that God is meeting us where we're at. And so we pray together, and I ask you guys to pray with us. Have mercy, God. Be near to us. Draw near to us. If you guys need prayer, if there are specific things that you need, please put them in the comments. We do read those, and we are praying for you. We are here for you, and that's what we're about here at the American Awakening, is to not give up on the belief that there is a God, that he loves us, and there is a life that is truly life, even in the face of death. John, that's our Daily Dose today. Back to you. Thank you, Joel. That is so encouraging. Yeah. Remember, folks, as we're wrestling with this, we know and serve a God that came to be with us so he could experience all this they were going through and even more and even worse into the gates of hell to overcome all this. Um, yep. And that is what the God with us idea is. Uh, Jeff, over to you, man. Ooh, what a start today. I like that. Um, encouraging, powerful, and sobering. I like that word you use, John. It is true. Um, but the cool part is even in sobering moments, there's hope. Um, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. In classic fashion, I'm going to talk about something I nerd out on, and then hopefully there will be some spiritual truth at the end, but I guess we'll see when we get there, right? Um, and what I wanted to chat about this morning, which hopefully I think is very pertinent right now to what we're going through, is the quick story behind the standardization of time. Now, this is a fascinating story that actually I do think has some seriousness at the end, but a lot of us don't realize that our standardization of time, the way we think about it, the way that we all have clocks that say the exact same thing basically all across the world, given time zones, but you know what I mean? is actually a relatively new innovation that goes back to about the 1800s. Now, this was out of necessity once basically the, the railroad industry started taking off because what the railroad industry did is it, it, it made us need standardized time because now we're going out of localities, right? And there was actually a lot of crashes and a lot of things that were just disgruntled and didn't make sense and uh, just were not organized. And people, because time actually was a little bit more relative then, it was based on the sun, it was based where you at, you kind of, each city got to kind of make up their own time at some level. But trains, because of the disorganization, people said, hey, we need to get on the same time. And so then we invented standardized time that actually started at the Greenwich Observatory. So that's still to this day, that's the first time zone for that reason, because that's what everything else is based off of. But here's what's really interesting. Once time got standardized, how did everyone get the standardized time, right? And what happened is time actually very quickly, once it became standardized, became a commodity that we would actually buy and sell. So Ruth Belleville, if you have time, go Google her. I have a whole book on her. It's fascinating. Her entire family built almost a 100-year business empire on the backs of buying and selling time. So her job was to go to the observatory, kind of sync her you know, pocket watch with the observatory, and then she would go out every single day. She did this for like 50 years. Go to the observatory and then go around to all the businesses and sell them the time. Here's what time it is. You want standardized time. You need to buy it from me um, and access to it. Very fascinating story. Um, but what's interesting is sociologists have looked at this is this is the moment 
that actually changed a lot of things. It's not a coincidence that things like anxiety, things in regards to hustle and hurry, things in regards to the speed at which we go about our life can be traced back to this moment because we commodified and kind of dehumanized time to be something that can be measured down to the millisecond and then bought and sold. And I think a lot of us, you know, the scriptures say we are what we worship. And I don't think we realize it, but I think we worship time. And so I don't think it's a coincidence that our hearts feel just like a stopwatch, tick, 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 right? There's this pressure, there's this push in all of our hearts. You can almost think of time like a straight line or a rocket ship that's just shooting us out into the future, and we feel this immense pressure. And even in this moment, with all this time on our hands, we feel like this pressure to make something of it or be productive or do something rather than sit in the sacredness of it. And the scriptures kind of have an antithetical vision of time, where it's not necessarily a straight line, but I like to think of time as more like a spiral, right? That it's kind of going forward, coming back, going forward, coming back in rhythms and rituals, daily, weekly, yearly. And to me, I think that's what we need right now. We need to understand that time is not a commodity to buy and sell, that there's no pressure behind our backs pushing us, but time is actually sacred, something to sit in. And it's about being, not doing. Sacredness of, let's 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 re-sacredize relationships. Let's re-sacredize, I don't even know if that's a word, but you know what I'm trying to say, love. Let's re-sacredize our marriage and our kids by not trying to commodify them because of time, but to actually sit in them, honor them, and keep them sacred with love at the center. So that's my word for today. Hope it's encouraging to you guys. Jeff, Amen. consider me mind blown. <laughs> Holy cow. I've never heard the story That's about standardization good. of time. Man. It's fascinating, and, right? And, and I was looking it up while you're talking. 1847 was the year. I'm not sure you gave that, but 1847. No, I didn't. I can't pull, I can't pull all the exact facts. Come sorry, on, man. Know. We want you to bring it all need you when you bring like it. This, John. 1847. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen 18, 1800s, but yeah. Isn't that crazy? 1847. And then it was standardized across uh, the UK, uh, Great Britain, by 1855. Basically, it started in 1847. By 1855, it was basically it was on. Wow. But- I've never thought of that. And that is a really rich observation you're bringing about the commoditization point. Um, that's where the mind blown gets. I mean, the fact that it didn't mm-hmm. exist before that way, that's fascinating. But the fact that, you know, the way we think about it and, and how to think about the sacred and how to, in the West, where we're so tied to it, what to do with all these things. And so, mm-hmm. so I would like to um, tease this uh, topic for tomorrow's discussion uh, mm-hmm. for, for yep. listeners out there, viewers out there, for our team. The, the mix of the Emmanuel God is with us point, right, which is like, you know, timeless, somehow all of time infused into a moment. Um, oh, with look the, at that nugget the, right there. That's good. I know with, that is good. <laughs> every once in a while I come up yeah. with one. And the idea of, of the way we, you know, we chunk it up and the way we, that internal cloth, that stopwatch you were talking about, that just, I... Hmm. Uh, it's a fascinating take. And so so tomorrow we're going to talk about this as a, as a group a little bit and and unpack those those two dimensions, God's God's vision of time, who mm-hmm. we are as, as you know embodiment of the eternal in this moment we're in. At the same time we we have realities we have to face because somebody else is keeping a clock. So how do yep. we how do we manage all those things? Yeah. All right. Uh shifting gears, we're going to go over to Calvin for uh, a little bit of sports in real time or sports franchises in real time storyline. <laughs> Thanks for that, John. And uh, yeah, again, every day, trying to bring you stories to remind you of who we are and to bolster our faith in, in our God and remember that he is good and even now he is at work. So whether you love him or hate him, the New England Patriots have stepped up even during the time of Corona. Uh, Patriots owner Robert Kraft is stepping up to help medical professionals who are caring for coronavirus patients. 
Patriot's plane is full of much needed protective gear for healthcare workers, including 1.2 million N95 masks. And it's on its way to Massachusetts from China. The help comes after Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker has for weeks described attempts to, to order personal protective equipment for these workers, but only to be outbid by either other countries or the federal government. Um, Kraft will join Governor Baker to greet the plane uh, when it arrives in Boston and the supplies will be transported by the National Guard to a stockpile. We all know how important those masks are and any other protective gear is uh, to keeping our healthcare workers safe. So to Governor Baker, to Mr. Kraft, and um, yeah, we thank you. And the Pats, thank you, Patriots. Now, uh, in other news, we have the Treasury Department who announced on Wednesday that seniors on Social Security will not have to file a tax return to receive a stimulus check. The reversal comes after lawmakers urged the Treasury Department to send Social Security recipients their payments automatically. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, he said that Social Security recipients who are not typically required to file a tax return need to take no action and will receive their payment directly to their bank account. In a Treasury Department press release, they said that individuals who do not receive their Social Security beneficiaries through direct deposit, they will receive a check. So again, a couple great stories reminding us that though it is painful and awful out there right now, that there's still signs of life. Um, so remember who you are, who we are, and that uh, we were created to overcome and that um, we're going to get through this together. I'm going to pitch the ball over to Marissa, who will be introducing our bigger story of today and our discussion question. Again, we are a resilient people. Uh, it is within our nature to be caring and looking out for one another. It's who we are. And so this is the moment for all of us to rise up in that. We have a great story today of, uh, of some women who came together uh, because they were really concerned about the Amish. Now, again, we know very few of us live near Amish communities. So they, they sort of seem like folks that most people are not thinking about. But Mary Swander, who's a retired professor uh, who lives in Kelowna, Iowa, she lives right next to an Amish community. And after a few conversations with her neighbors, she realized that uh, they probably were not going to be able to get all the information that they needed to be prepared for corona. She said they had a vague inkling about it, but without TV, radio, and internet, they wouldn't know how bad it was. So from her window, actually, uh, a few weeks ago, she was able to look out and see kids who were still riding their bicycles at their current school. And she knew what exposure to corona would actually mean for the community if they hadn't gotten word of social distancing. She said they have their own businesses as blacksmiths or wheelwrights or doing concrete work. They all have customers coming to their farm from the outside world. And so she knew it really, it wasn't going to be okay for them to be allowing all sorts of folks to come in and them just not be aware of what was going on. So she went out of her own accord and she made copies of the latest information that she could find about corona from the CDC. She put them in every mailbox that she could find of every Amish family in her community, but she still felt like that wasn't enough and like she had to do more. So then she called her friend, Stephanie Leonard, who's lived for over 20 years uh, near an Amish community in a community actually nearby hers in Riverside, Iowa. Um, and I guess Stephanie was already isolating herself because most of us are. But she got really alarmed when she began to think about her Amish neighbors and her friends over the years. And so, you know, if, if no one was going to tell them, what were they going to do? So she reached out uh, to several county health 
health departments. And she, again, offices are thinning out. She wasn't able to get most people uh, when she tried, but she finally reached another woman named Danielle Pettit Majewski, who also had been thinking and brewing about the Amish community and what they were going to do. And so apparently the community that she became really close with because of vaccinations um, that she supervised, she knew that uh, Amish communities, they don't have telephones, but each community typically has one phone booth. And I guess they check the messages daily. Uh, They also have a bishop in every community. So Danielle called this one phone booth and kept leaving messages. And finally, a bishop got hold of the messages, called her back. She told him over the phone about, you know, again, limiting to groups less than 10, washing your hands frequently, keeping the six feet of space between them. Um, And she also told the bishop that the governor had ordered schools to close, which really seemed to resonate with him. So basically, after that, um, again, people sort of lost word. These are communities that are that are pretty closed. But I guess there's a community doctor in the Amish community that, that Danielle reached out to who passed on to her that they did start shutting down schools. They did start implementing all sorts of, of rules and regulations and that they canceled an upcoming gathering, which would have had hundreds of Amish folks coming from around the country. And Stephanie Leonard, again, the originator of our story, was saying that she thought that she was just doing what she hoped anybody would do in a time of great uncertainty. She said, we all should try to be good neighbors because we're all in this together. And so again, this story of these three women who just had this sort of inkling within their hearts to reach out, to go beyond, to even basically while they had been quarantined, began to be making moves to reach back out into the world to make sure that no one was left behind. Um, This is, you know, this could be anyone one of us, and it probably should be all of us to some degree. And so our discussion topic for the day is when you hear all of that, you hear people going beyond, uh, reaching out, continuing to, to bang on doors until someone listens. You know, what, what really strikes you guys most about that story? And even beyond that, when you think about your own lives, do you remember a time when someone's gone out of their way to help you? And if so, what happened and, and what were the lessons that you gleaned from that, that you held on to? Oh, that's a good question. Marissa, do you have one to lead us with? Come on. Give give us some give us some some Man. personal reflection. Oh, she's ready. Look at her raise those glasses. She <laughs> I know. Well. I know. Oh, well, you know me too well, Jack. Me. You know me yep. too well. Um, you know, I I gotta say, I've been a beneficiary of a lot of people who have uh who've gone out of their way to help me. Um, there are times when um when I can remember sort of being off places and not really knowing how I was going to sort of get to where I needed to be. And all I could really do was sort of cry out in the moment. And, you know, somehow God is, God is bringing resources. God's bringing people. God's somehow negotiating things. Um, I've been really protected through the years. And quite honestly, the lesson that I've gleaned from these times when people have sort of reached out and continued to knock on my door and bang on on my head when I couldn't see clearly was that there's always help out there when uh, when you might feel either like you've like your pride will keep you from from reaching out or you think nobody will understand or you feel so deep down in something so confused that you're not quite sure how to get out of it. I promise you there is always help out there and God is always listening. 
and negotiating on our behalf, crying out on our behalf, moving things around. You're never on your own. So that's that has stuck with me through the years. I will go down swinging, saying, I know he's going to figure out a path for me somehow. Amen. I love that, Marissa. That's so good. Amen. So you kind of flipped it around a little bit in an interesting way. Hmm. And basically, not only did you acknowledge that all the people that have helped you, but just sort of a yeah. little bit, you've kind of... You kind of put it on each one of us to look for it too, um, which right. is which is interesting, right? So on one hand, we're saying you know, other people have been great to us, and I mm-hmm. have a thousand examples of that I'm sure all of you do. But you're also saying um, it kind of relates to the asking you shall receive, seeking you shall find, knocks right. your door shall be open to you, right? It's sort of like That's right. it's out there. Don't forget, it's out there. I mean, it's maybe maybe elusive right. and maybe challenging to find. You know, you may be pent up by yourself and you're you're living alone right now. But don't give up because there there is somebody out there that's going to be there for you, um, and God's always there for you too. So I know I absolutely is that fair. Absolutely, yeah. No, I think you know, especially in times of great fear or trepidation, you're at these cross points in in your life. You're not quite sure where to go, and I think our temptation is to lock up and to draw back and to shrink back and think that no one could understand, no one could help, whatever. And I'm telling you, Mm -hmm. there is always somebody out there. I yeah. Again, you all don't know me. You don't know my backstory, but I promise you there's somebody out there somewhere. God is not going to leave you without any kind of resource. And there, there is another way to get from one day to another, I promise. Just keep walking so, and keep looking for it. I got to jump in here because that that really is like so connected to the story that I was thinking about on this. Mm. So when I was in college, um, I was serving in this little tiny town uh, in a church that had like 12 people, and we were just trying to meet needs. And I met this old woman. She was probably in her 80s. She had no legs from diabetes, and mm. her power had been turned off. And her house was next door to a church, a different church. And and little preview here, I'm not throwing shade on churches. I love the church but there's a little bit of a of a message here too. And so she had lost her power and I tried to run a, an extension cord from her house over to the church and I knocked on the door, I talked to the pastor, I was like, hey, can we just at least keep her fridge running so she can have food? And the pastor said no. And so now I'm like scrambling and trying to figure out how do we help this woman? And here I am like this college kid. I don't know what to do. It's this tiny town. The only other thing besides two churches in this town was a bar. And so I go to the bar and I go up to the bar tender and I'm like, hey man, we've got this woman. She's trying to keep her food cold. Could we just get some ice to put in her coolers? And I mean, without hesitation, he said yes. And so that has stuck with me for a long time that not only should we not assume who might help and who not, who will not. But God forbid that the people of God would not be the first ones to answer the call. And so for me, that's been like, you know, that's a challenge for us as people who say like, we follow God, we want to serve others. Like be ready to say yes on the one hand, but also if you're in that stuck position, like you were saying, Marissa, you'd be very surprised at who might step up and serve you. So real. Yeah. So good. Every time. And, And if anything, that also shows us how big God is, right? I mean, how surprising you said that to expand our expectations of the ways that he might work, right? That mm-hmm. maybe we thought it would be a church, but it was a bar. You know, it's, it's funny right. how the Lord even flips the script there. It's crazy. Um, I'm going to, you know, make it real. This has happened within this last week. This venture that we're on is a very unusual one. Three weeks ago, we didn't even know of the existence of the idea of a daily show. And now, three weeks later, here we are on every platform and going large with Relevant and and, uh, lots of other partners out there. 
And in between that time, um, you know, I, I, you know, had my doubts about what we're doing. I, you know, day over day, we show up and we do the best we can. And I had, uh, you know, had the conviction that we should be reaching out and serving. But, you know, I just got to last Friday. This is just six days ago. We're about to just really take off after doing this day over day for a while and practicing. And I, I just wasn't sure where I'd go with this. Um, you know, am I really supposed to be doing this? I, you know, this thing, we just made it up. And so in real time last um, Friday... Friday morning, I reached out to some really dear friends, spiritual directors, important people in my life that have been guides throughout. When my book comes out in July, you'll you'll hear about a couple of these special friends. Shout out to Steve Machia, Ray Hammond, Pastor Ray Hammond, and Pastor Herman Hamilton. And and amazingly, I asked them at nine o'clock in the morning last Friday, and by and we had them all, all on a two hour conference call at five o'clock that day for me to lay out all the facts along with uh, Marissa and my wife, and say, are we supposed to be doing this or not? And it was just a, it was a miracle, I mean, frankly, to get three busy people um, like that, you know, together that day and have them sit with me and process where we were and where we are and what we should be doing. And they were like, you got to do this, man. You got to do this. This is the thing. This is the deal. This is where you got to go. You've got to run hard at this. The point, though, is that, um, number one, you know, I felt an acute need. Number two, per Marissa's counsel, I put it out there. Three, miraculously, people showed up. And, and four, it really helped. And so I was, I was super and deeply encouraged by that. Um, so does that qualify as a good enough story, Marissa? I think so. <laughs> That's hey. good. Sure does. <laughs> sure what, does. Whatever you that. got is enough today, JK. <laughs> All right, so I'm kicking it over to Mr. Bethke in Maui for a little old-timey movie action. What do we got yeah, there, Yeah, where are man? we going? Back to 1940, I think, today. <laughs> Correct. Um, but this is a good, good choice. The Great Dictator, Charlie Chaplin, and I think a little longer movie line, too, so we get to really get the meat on this one. This is a great one, and I love... Who picks these out? Is John, is this you or is Marissa? Because you guys are picking out these nuggets. These are good. It's Marissa, and she is doing a magnificent job. I'm a huge yeah. movie person, but Marissa's, Marissa's doing the yes, work. Yes, Marissa, you're killing it. And I don't know, I, I was even thinking this morning, too, before we get to movie line, tangent. Or just whoever's pulling out these stories, too. And, like, I mean, I, I live on the internet, and I'm missing some of these. So whoever's doing that is, like, you're killing the game. I almost used the... That what you guys email out as the run of the show, I almost use as my intake for the day before I even get on the show. I'm like, oh, this is, That's I, don't, I don't need again. to go follow these people. It's yeah, all I don't Marissa. need to follow these people on Twitter and do all this because she's handling biz over there. So, Marissa, you're killing it, and you're amazing. I just wanted to put that tangent in there. Um, okay, I think Marina's in the background. Go ahead and toss on the movie line of the day. But I don't want to be a, an emperor. That's not my business. I don't want to rule or conquer anyone. I should like to help everyone if possible. Jew, Gentile, black man, white. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there's room for everyone, and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful, but we have lost the way. So good. First of all, not only is that amazing, but can we just talk about, Can I, I wish we could speak like that. Whatever accent that it is, whatever voice that is, he barely opens his mouth and it just sounds incredible. <laughs> it was his first speaking film, right? It was. Marissa, you want to you you say voice. a little bit more about the, about the film and where it sits in history? As a, By the way, everybody, Marissa went to film school, so <laughs> she can drop some science on did this Did you stuff. really? I did. I did. And, did I, and I did not know that. Well, Law school, yeah. film school, whatever school. You, she's done it. 
Yeah, I love my schooling. I do, <laughs> um, but no, I'm a little, I'm a little rain manish sometimes when it comes to film. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell the truth, but no, yeah, this was this was his first speaking film. Of course, we all know Charlie Chaplin, a history of silent film. He's the great. He's the one that everybody sort of points to. But yeah, this film was really this was a condemnation of Hitler and fascists and all the, uh, of course, Nazis, the work of the time. And Chaplin actually, he he plays dual roles. He plays uh, uh, this fascist dictator. And then he also plays a persecuted Jewish barber. And this is a film that is in the National Film Registry. It is a classic. Um, And Chaplin actually said years later in 1964 in his autobiography that he wouldn't have been able to make it had he known actually just how bad um, the concentration camps were at the time. It's a classic. Check it out, y'all. The film was made in 1940. Wow. Just think about, like, you know, look back in history at at people who were in tough, tough times. He was calling out a terrible, terrible thing that was going to have to go years and years and years of badness. I mean, colossal badness, 25 million dead badness before, you know, we emerged from the other side. Um, So anyway, you just take a couple minutes there, you know, every day and sort of think about, you know, how it felt before and where people were. And, and you know, puts it into context a little bit and helps you think about how you're going to get through this yourself like our forebearers did. All right, Dan Hazeltine, you've been uh, sitting too long. There you are. Who knows? The story of my life. Yes. Sitting <laughs> sitting for too long. <laughs> and we've been just so eager to have you and your musical guest today. It's so great to see yeah. your face, Dan. Good to see you all. Thanks. It's great to be on from Nashville. Today, we're, we're back. We brought back our good friends, uh, Jamal Wade Hines and Moksha Summer, who collectively are who dosed. We are so great to have them on. I've been, you know, and I, I've known them for quite a while now. We've done a lot of work on advocacy for folks up on the hill trying to fight against extreme poverty. Um, they, their hearts are incredible. Their music is really fantastic. Their story is really phenomenal. And one of the things that I just wanted to say about it, while you're watching them perform today, I want you to keep in mind that that in 2008, Moksha actually had a brain tumor and has this incredible story of having surgery and having to relearn language skills, how to talk, um, regain, you know, proper sight. Uh, And so part of their mission has really been to bring healing through sound, through music. And it's something they've been doing, I think, very well. I've had the chance to work with them in the studio. Um, we performed live a few times. We even got to play here in Nashville at the Bluebird. Uh, and so it's it's just my great, great honor to be able to bring to you all today from Kentucky, not Nashville, but from Kentucky, <laughs> our good friends, Who Dust. Woo! Welcome! Uh, Dan, that's so sweet. You made me almost teary-eyed before we start here. Um, I want to share, too, we're going to start with a song that's a very new song, and it's kind of a sad song, but I feel like a lot of people right now are struggling with depression and with addiction, and this is a song about that struggle, but about the reclaiming and uh, recreation of one's story and one's path.
you guys playing together and uh you've got another song for us we have a song that we wrote with you dan actually we um Uh, we wondered about doing it uh, the word on the street is that you had a dream about this very song last night is that right i um (laughs) i was thinking a lot about the lyrics to this song actually songs are weirdly prophetic at this time i remember you too when they uh they had released that album, All That You Can't Leave Behind. And I remember seeing them play and perform a show, and uh, it was pre-9-11. And then that same record just, you know, played it again right after 9-11. And the songs had all of this different meaning and all of but but it was almost as if the writing just was such a great precursor to the events in history that took place. And um, this is one of those songs where for me, uh, as I was thinking of the lyric, I thought, wow, this is weirdly, oddly prophetic in its, uh, in some of the lyrics that we had in this one. Yeah. And um, you know, I feel like when we wrote this song, it definitely reflects the advocacy work that we do together in terms of what it means to bring our voices together on behalf of those whose voices are not heard and the power of advocacy. Um, But I think especially in this time, that's even more essential in terms of being able to really have a collective voice and a voice of kindness and compassion in this time. So we thought it would be a good second song to share today. And Dan, sing along. Dan's on, Dan's on the record. Dan's in the video too. Yeah, all, right. All the, all the guys from Jars are on on the um, on the album version and on the video, so you can find this. Yeah. Called Rise <clears throat> Together. I had a dream. I shared the last tear in the world. Just to the 
Thanks so much for being on with us today. We're honored and grateful to be here. Everything that was shared was so beautiful. Thank you all for what you're doing. Well, thank you. Until tomorrow, guys, um, we're thinking about y'all. Uh, we're praying for y'all. We've been through these these issues before. We've been through the challenges before. We've seen these types of headwinds. We're here for you. You've got it in you to make it. God's got you. We love you. God loves you. Uh, you're made for purpose, meaning, and significance. And keep fighting the good fight until tomorrow. Thanks, everybody. Bye now. Signs of Life is produced by American Awakening, a campaign for the soul of America, 
committed to slaying the giant of death and despair in this American moment. Signs of Life is made up of Jefferson Bethke, Dan Hazeltine, Josh Jacob, John Kingston, Joel Searby, Calvin Lee, Christian Palacios, Marina Pappas, Andy Peterson, and me, Marissa Prince. The show is produced from our headquarters in Lexington, Massachusetts, and you can learn a whole lot more about the movement by visiting our website, AmericanAwakening.us.